What's going on, everybody? This is episode 14 of the Lawson Podcast, and if you have been tired of hearing me ramble on and on by myself, then you are in for a treat because we have a guest on this time. His name is Adam Bishop, and uh, he is a he considers himself a uh, um, you know a layman level uh, apologist. He's really interested in apologetics, but he is also a Christian musician, a Christian singer. He has uh, some really good music up on Bandcamp. So if you go to adambishop.bandcamp.com, you can find his music there. He just released something, I believe, in May of this year. And uh, let me see. Yes, he released something in May 2020. And it's actually really good. It's more of a like a folk kind of um, vibe going on. And I really enjoy it. I really, uh, it's nice to have some like, someone who cares about the the lyrics that they write and who cares about the sound that they're putting out there and doesn't just try to copy you know like uh like a pop kind of sound or a pop rock kind of sound with very vague uh, lyrics it's it's very refreshing to hear his work and uh very catchy too <laughs> i love his stuff he gets stuck in my head he also has a blog uh, and you can find that at who are you, oh man, the letter, just the letter O, man, dot wordpress dot com. And I'm going to put these links in the description anyway, so I don't know why I'm taking the time to explain them here. But um, yeah, he has a he has a blog here, and uh, he talks a lot of, about a lot of stuff in here. Some of it related to apologetics, some of it related to um, criticisms of the church, criticisms of Christian culture, maybe. Uh, and some uh, social commentary, stuff like that. Really, really interesting stuff. I enjoy reading it. Um, so, yeah, that's who we're talking to today. And our topic today is uh, our three, what we think are the three best arguments for the exist for for not only the existence of of God, but for the truth of Christianity. So the way we do this is we we break it down into three steps. First, we argue for a general. Um, you know, a general argument for the existence of a God. And then we move on to uh, the existence of a God that cares about morality. And then we go from there and we argue that the Christian God is true by arguing from the historicity of the Bible and the historicity of the claims of Jesus's resurrection. Uh, So that's that. And uh, along the way, we get into some other interesting side tangents that I thought were a lot of fun. Um... If, you, uh, if you're not aware, this is the first guest I've had on the podcast, so, you know, my interviewing skills are not the best, but uh, I make do with what I got, and hopefully Adam will be back on later on, and I'll get better and better at, uh, you know, doing a podcast with other people. Uh, I'm so used to talking to myself that doing a podcast with someone else now seems weird. <laughs> so anyways, before I ramble on too much, uh, the last thing I just want to say is we have an email, which is uh, lawsoncast at gmail.com, lawsoncast at gmail.com. And Adam actually would like 
to know if any atheists would like to debate him. Or um, maybe if you're not interested in debating the topic of religion or God, something else, uh, maybe politics, he leans right. Um, so anybody who wants to debate him, he's really interested in that. And he would love to, he would love to do something on religion, but I know he'd be willing to do something on politics as well. So uh, reach out, email me about that, lostincast at gmail.com. And without further ado, let's just get right into it. All right, so we're here with Adam Bishop, and uh, we're talking about the three best arguments for Christianity. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Adrian? Pretty good, man. Pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. Um, so let's just get right into it, I guess. What do you, uh, you want to start off talking about? So I think it's good to move from general... Uh, ideas about what is the best argument into so basically i think it works best to move from an argument for a god to an argument to a moral god to pointing to that that god is uh the god of the bible in christianity i think makes the most sense um so did i lose something Uh-oh. everything's good here oh, okay sorry I got distracted. No, you're good. Um, okay, cool. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that basically where I would start is with um, something like the what some people call the Kalam cosmological argument, um, which is what William Lane Craig kind of popularized that term. Um, other people would just call it the causal argument. Um, I mean, it goes back to Aristotle with the idea of an unmoved mover, um, some sort of beginning to the universe. And Aristotle didn't believe it was necessarily God but he believed in something beginning the universe, which is interesting. So, I mean, so the Kalam cosmological argument uh, looks something like it's a deductive argument with two premises and a conclusion. So we're looking at everything that begins to exist has a cause. Uh, the universe began to exist. And the conclusion being that the universe has a cause. Um, the important distinction there being everything that begins to exist has a cause, which is not everything that exists has a cause. It's everything that begins to exist. Every effect has a cause. Um, And I think it's, you know, you can't reduce the universe. There's nothing um, that perpetuates itself within the universe that we know about. Right. Um, So that's kind of where the the starting point. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, I, uh, Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I'm just predicting where there may be some pushback. Um, yeah. Uh, what I'm thinking is, how do we know that the universe has a beginning, first of all? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I see, like, I don't know, there might be some uh, multiverse people out there that are wondering why the universe can't be eternal or anything like that. Yeah, I think that when we talk about this kind of stuff, we need to make sure that we're basing it on what is the most likely uh, rather than what is 100% true, right? Um, and I understand the the multiverse is, it's hard for me to deal with because it just feels like a cop-out to me. Um, right. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that could be true. This could also all be a dream. Um, but, you know, we know the universe has a cause because of science and history. They tell us this. 
Uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the, that the first person to kind of prove it scientifically, I don't remember his name, so I should probably give credit where credit is due, but was a Catholic priest was the first person to kind of say, Hey, look, we can look back and, and say that the universe has a cause, but Christians have been saying it and Jews before them have been saying it since the beginning. Um, and I mean, the Kalam itself comes from Muslim scholars. So like that word comes from Muslim scholars. So it's not right. that, I mean, the thing is that what I, the issue, <laughs> the issue that I find when you start bringing up things like multiverses and things like that is that it seems to me that when people bring that up, it's because they're choosing to only believe in something if the answer is not God. So they're saying, I'll go where the evidence points me as long as it's not God. Um, and again, you know, the Kalam really only gets you as far as some sort of creator. Uh, it doesn't say it's the God of the Bible or the Torah or anything like that. It just says it is a God um, who began things and um, and probably continues to create. Uh, and I think that the other thing to, in, to to keep in mind about that is that the cause has to be supernatural. So even if you don't believe that it's God that creates a universe, it has to be something outside of nature. In other words, something in nature can't create nature. Uh, it has to be something outside of nature that will do that. But I think your question right. seemed to be more about um, the second premise, which is that the universe began to exist. Um and again, I think that if you don't believe that the universe began to exist, then there's not much arguing with that because I think that, that a person who believes that is willing to believe in anything except for a creator. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I like how you said it was kind of a cop-out because if you do come to somebody and say, like, uh, you know, our universe started to exist and anything that starts to exist does have a cause, and then they say, well perhaps there's a multiverse then it's like okay well what do we do with that <laughs> yeah yeah um, well yes and i have heard that there is no working model of the universe that is eternal um that like physicists can come up with like uh have you heard about have you heard of that i've this to be honest in the area of apologetics science is the least interesting part to me so okay. i've looked into that a little bit um but I couldn't speak to it with any area with, I mean, I can't really speak with expertise about anything, but uh, even less expertise than I would generally have, uh, would I be able to speak to yeah. it? But I mean, it, it's your, it's intuition, right? It's like, well, we know that it doesn't go back forever because then we couldn't ever get to here. Does that make sense? So right. in other words, yeah. infinite the regression leads infinity. us nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's a, a, a good chance to mention that we are not experts in any of this and we are yeah. kind of laymans who study this stuff in our free time and we enjoy it and so um we're just coming here gathering all the knowledge that we've gathered uh through our own research and have uh put it out here on this podcast for people to enjoy <laughs> yeah I, and i think it's important to be able to rationalize and justify your positions um, absolutely for whatever you believe you should have good reasons for believing it and so that is why i think this stuff is important um for everybody and i figure uh people should study it if a dummy like me can get into it anybody can get into it so uh yeah, yeah same it, for me <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah um, um okay yeah. so infinity can't exist in real life is what you're saying yeah i mean 
so theoretically in mathematics you could have an infinity um in between two points but that doesn't that's theoretical (laughs) it's you know right your common sense doesn't lead you there yeah a good example that i hear a lot is the grim reaper um analogy have you heard of that one no go ahead um so i'll try to like remember it as best as i can but basically um there's a guy and he is going to be killed uh, let's say it's 12 a.m and this guy has to be killed by 1 a.m but theoretically there's an infinity fractions of time in between 12 and 1 a.m right yes um so there's one grim reaper that is supposed to kill him if he's not dead by 12 30 they have to kill him at 12 30 um but before that, if he's not dead by twelve fifteen, then there's a Grim Reaper that has to kill him. Oh at 12, yes, 15. yes, yes, yes. And uh, right, yeah, that you can keep and dividing it, it. Yeah, and it comes down into these infinite little fractions of time, and uh, ultimately you're never able to tell at which time he was killed, uh, or even that he was killed. Um, yet you know he must have been killed. Yeah, there's and, a there's a formal thought experiment about this, and I think they use lights being on and off, where it gets turned on and off right. every other second and then every other fraction of a second. And then you don't know at the end of an hour whether the light will be on or off. It's impossible to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's another really good way to put it. it. Probably, That's probably a better way to put it than the Grim Reaper thing. It's kind of hard to understand. It took me a couple times of listening to it to understand the Grim Reaper analogy. Um, uh, but yeah, so... Uh, do you think we need to go into those in any more depth or are we pretty um, clear that infinity I mean, doesn't happen? I think infinity not existing is good. I th- I mean, I think that what I, for me, the hardest part to grasp about this, and I think the hardest part for materialists in general to grasp about this, um, and wh- where the objection would come from if I was on the other side of this argument would be something like, well, what was God doing before time began? Mm. Um, and the reality it's, it's hard for us because we kind of are self-centered creatures where we think, well, there couldn't have been like a time before time, but that wasn't time. So God, what was God doing? Well, he just was (laughs) right. And he just, he just was there and he was there with all of his facets. Right. So we know that goodness has been, is an eternally existing property because God is good. God has exist. I mean, we're taking some things for granted in that. But from a Christian perspective, God right. is good. God has existed forever. So goodness has existed forever. The laws of logic have probably existed forever. Things that don't have to report on the material world can exist eternally as components of God's person. Right. That makes sense. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think that's so I guess for me, the cosmological argument gets you from. I think it completely, and I mean, you know, people can argue if it was a completely convincing argument, there'd be no more atheists in the world. But right. uh, I, I think um, that that if you buy into it, which I do, uh, I and I think it's logically coherent, it really, it kind of says, well, atheism doesn't really work anymore. And agnosticism, as far as not knowing if there is a God, doesn't work. Now, it doesn't say you can still be agnostic about which God. Um but it's difficult to say there is no God or I don't know if there is some sort of creator um, 
if you believe the co- the cosmological argument, which I do. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> obviously, it makes sense to me. That's why I'm a Christian. But, um, so. Yeah. Then, how do we get from this creator or first cause to a god? Like, how do we justify? Um, the the steps between that. I think the moral argument um, is a really good place to begin that right. process because you know you get to a creator who could be uncaring and have no um, guidelines for morality whatsoever. Um, but the fact that we have a tendency to judge things as right and wrong. Um, and that we basically live, I mean, it's hard to say we basically live moral lives because we're sinful, but from a, an objective perspective, there are, there seem to be, um, reasons why we call certain things right and certain things wrong. And it's not just about our opinion. Um, we say things are objectively right and objectively wrong, um, all the time. And even those who claim not to with their words, maybe don't live their life in that sort of way. Um, you know, the, the big atheist argument is really, well, what produces um, as, what's been popular among new atheists anyway, um, has been, uh, well, what produces the greatest amount of human flourishing. And the reality yeah. is that no one lives that way. No one thinks, Hmm, well, my actions today produce the greatest amount of human flourishing. People think, yeah. and what is, <laughs> am I doing the right thing or the wrong thing? We don't execute people for not, producing the greatest human flourishing we execute people for uh murder right yeah that uh that like i heard that a lot um when i was an atheist in like secular humanism conversations Mm -hmm. and it kind of even then struck me as just like okay you just mean utilitarianism like repackaged utilitarianism basically is what it seemed like that's exactly what it is and the and i mean at that point the real question is and this gets into kind of presuppositional territory, but it's, well, why is human flourishing good? Why is that preferable yeah. to non-human flourishing? Um, and the answer is that it doesn't matter. Human flourishing has no bearing on whether something is right or wrong. It can be right. a happy byproduct, but it does not, uh, you know, the, one, one thing I like to think about a lot is something like population control, right? So, well, you know, we don't have enough food. Um so if we just kill half the people, then the people who survive will flourish more, hypothetically, but it's not good. It's not objectively, morally good, right? I mean, right. The, there's a reason that when you watch the Avengers, spoiler alert, spoiler alert you don't think that <laughs> Thanos is the good guy. He's the bad guy. I, I have some friends who disagree, but uh, I, yeah. I don't know if they're just being contrarian or what. But. They are. I've heard the argument, and but that's the thing is that that's where this leads is to, well, right. yeah. If if half if we can save half the people and they can have their lives be marginally better if we kill you know <laughs> half of the other people, then let's do it. But that's but something inside of us says no, that's not quite right. Um, and my suggestion would be um, that we are created in the image of God uh, with uh, all the moral underpinnings that that kind of sit there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what. Uh, um... I'm taking an ethics class right now, and what really struck me was um, 
I didn't know this, but my professor said like um, subjective relativism and cultural relativism now are widely rejected by philosophers, uh, which shocked me because if you talk to the average person, they'll kind of fall along those lines, even if they don't apply that in their, in their actual opinions, they'll claim to be like, well, everyone do their own thing, you know? Um, But so if these things are not subjective and morality is objective, then by what standard do we find out that objective truth? Um, And if two different ethical frameworks like utilitarianism and Kantianism disagree, then is there an outside standard that we can judge them by to see which one is right? And from what I can see, like no human effort has come to that. Yeah, there's no reason to live in any sort of thing that we would call a moral life. And there's no, there's no reason to believe people who say that there is no moral standard because they don't live that way. Um, and the reality also is that we need a lawgiver in order to have a law. Yeah, exactly. So then if we want to kind of formulate all of this uh, into like a, a syllogism, I guess, how would you formulate that? I don't know what the word syllogism means. Like a premise, premise, conclusion argument. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I Sorry. told you that I am dumb. No, it's fine. I should have known that word. Um, no. It probably existed somewhere in my brain, but I've lost it. Um, I just, I always hear uh, Cameron Bertuzzi use it. And... Oh, he does like it, doesn't he? Yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, so I would say if moral, if objective morality exists, then there is a moral lawgiver, in parentheses, God. Um, subjective morality exists. Therefore, there is, a, there is an objective uh, moral lawgiver, in parentheses, God. Capital G. Yeah. <laughs> Only one. And I mean, that's the thing, right, is that if you talk to people, they'll say, yeah, people do whatever they want. Okay, well, is it okay to murder? No, it's not okay to murder. So if we're just going by people's intuition, it doesn't really work out for us because people will say one thing and then you give them an example of that thing in action and they reject it wholesale. Yeah, the example I like to use is drowning puppies Yeah, because nobody is okay with drowning puppies. Yeah, no <laughs> one's okay with that. And that's there's a reason for that. It's because we believe in the value of creation and in order to do some sort of mental gymnastics to get around the idea that creation is valuable and i you know i think that doing something like drowning puppies or even i mean slavery is a first of all that's a hot topic because of the bible people are always like it endorses slavery which it doesn't but that's okay um but something like slavery well neil degrasse tyson says we're all special because we're stardust that obfuscates the question why is Stardust yeah. special? Why is it wrong for one piece of Stardust to own another piece of Stardust? There's no good answer for that. That does not make me special. That does not give me intrinsic value. What gives me intrinsic value is that I'm made in the image of God. Not that what makes me feel good is a good, uh, makes me feel better about the world is a good way to to judge the standard of what is right and wrong, right? Like there is no, like it, when you're searching for objectivity, it shouldn't be based on what makes me feel the best. But if your intuition is that humans have value, the fact that they're made of stardust does not play into that intuition whatsoever. Yeah, like why is stardust any better than grass or dirt or 
Well, that's his. I mean, that's the thing. Is his point is that it's all stardust. We all you can't. If you get down to it, we all came from stardust. Well, then I'm the same as grass. Yeah, exactly. I'm exactly the same. As grass. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, or the same as uh, uh, what's some animal that people don't like? Raccoons, possums. Yeah, I, I I'm not a fan of raccoons. Yeah, yeah, me either. You know, we have some raccoons that come around. Uh, we have a pool right outside our apartment and there's these raccoons that swim there at night and they're really loud and i can't stand That's it the most they terrifying like... thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> it's crazy and then i look out there they're just swimming in the pool and they like get into random fights for no reason and they're they wake me up at like all night to the all hours of the night so it's but the point uh, is that yeah, i don't, the I don't like raccoons. worldview you are the same as a raccoon you have the same value as a raccoon you're made of the same stuff yeah stardust but, and getting down to the bottom of that really you're the same dead as you are alive because right. what oh, what point. are you after you die what's what can i add to you to make you alive consciousness well that's not a material thing is it right i mean to a certain extent brain function is something but how can i make you what's the difference between a, a live body and a dead body outside of consciousness which is not a material thing right and even if we were just uh let's say didn't have consciousness but had brain function Mm-hmm. Uh, like what makes brain function objectively better than lacking brain function <laughs> yes that is always the question is what what makes <laughs> your ideals better than any literally anything else in the world yeah yeah um yeah i um going back to that question i was asking about if two different frameworks disagree how do you resolve that um if we acknowledge that morality is not subjective um, you can't just pick whichever framework comes to the conclusion you like. You have to, you know, there's a right and wrong answer to this. And I asked my professor about this, and he basically said, well, we agree that morality morality is objective, but we haven't come to the perfect theory that uh, encompasses all of objective morality or whatever. I forgot how he yeah. phrased it, but it was something like that. And I was like, well, like, <laughs> is it possible that we're not capable of something like that? <laughs> yeah, but, and I think that's one yeah. of the, the hard parts to wrap your head around, right, is like this duality, right, that we are sinful, that we do lots of terrible things to each other, that we are, uh, you know, we're skipping ahead a little bit here into Christianity specifically, but the idea that we do terrible things and are incapable of salvation outside of Christ, um, and we're really, there is no goodness outside of God, um, and yet we still have these feelings about murder being wrong. Um, and so it is that kind of split where it's like, we are definitely sinful creatures who do terrible things, but we also know what is right and what is wrong. And I think that really speaks to the purpose of humanity being really to commune with God and to, to be able to be in his presence. But we have this thing that gets in the way, which is called our desires to sin. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it reminds me of like, uh, what Paul wrote, I forgot in which book he wrote it in, but uh, I I do what I do not want and I do not do what I want to do. Yes. Like I know what is right and wrong, but I my flesh is so weak that I can't even do what I know is right. Yeah, I think I like to think of sin as being like a ball deciding to roll uphill. It's like <laughs> you were built with a purpose, but your your will is so strong you have such a bent towards sin. You want to sin so badly that you're willing to go against what you were created for. And now you have this new nature, this fallen nature 
that goes against what you were built for. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. It, it fits with like a ball rolling uphill would violate the laws of physics and a sinning violates the objective moral law that comes from God. That's a really yes. good way to put that. Yeah. And going back to what your professor was saying about, you know, um, we haven't perfected exactly what the objective morality is looks like. I think that, again, is the case of someone saying, and I'm not picking on your professor, we all do this to a certain degree, but we all do this thing where it's like, um, it's the same thing as the atheist who says, I'll accept any answer as long as it's not God. It's, well, maybe right. we know, maybe we know what the objective, specific objective truths of the universe are uh, in the same way that we know the laws of physics, we know the laws of logic, um, we know the laws of God. Um, well, they're all laws of God, but you know what I'm saying? The moral right. laws that God has laid out. Um, and what we choose to say, well, it's anything but that. It can't be God. Certainly it can't be God. Certainly it has to be something that we're still just working on. In the same way that, you know, Christians get accused of subscribing to a God of the gaps, when really the science of the gaps is much stronger than the God of the gaps. Yeah, especially in recent years. Um, yeah, and... Sorry, what's your... Oh, man, I had something I was going to say, and I just blanked out. Um, sorry, go ahead, continue. Okay. <laughs> I'll try well, to remember just, what I was going to say. Yeah, it's just... it's. I think that the magic word for the, um, for the atheist, for the materialist, whatever you want to call them, um, is yet. Science hasn't figured it out yet. Science hasn't figured out what right. consciousness is yet. Or, alternatively science will never find out because it's just not something because you're not willing to accept the conclusions that you get to. And yeah, because exactly. science measures the material world and we're not talking about material things, but you're trusting your thought processes, which are not material things to get you to science. So I don't know how that works out. You wouldn't trust a computer that came together by accident, but you trust your brain, which you claim came together by accident. Yeah, exactly. And you're relying on these, um, non-material like laws of logic that uh in our experience they work but how do we know they can come to abstract truths and and stuff like that um yeah and i think that, that might that's, be a tangent that, but <laughs> no but that goes back to what we were saying earlier which is that people live as if the laws of logic are true people live mm -hmm. as if the laws of morality are true but while rejecting those sorts of things or not, you know, you're right that there are there is a growing school of thought that's like, well, objective morality is true, but we don't know what it is. Um, right. But you live as if it is true. You basically live a Christian life. And you, if you're in a Western country anyway, you basically live a Christian life. You just hold opinions that are abhorrent to scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I forget again, I remember what I was going to say. Okay. Um, so the, um, let me think of how to phrase it. It's okay. We can have dead air. I can edit it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> this is a moment for um, contemplation. Yes. And a sip of coffee. But, um, so yes, my Professor, in, this is my second ethics class that I've taken. This is uh, ethics of uh, contemporary moral issues. And before this, I took intro to ethics, um, which is not my major at all. My major is computer science, but I love these classes. 
their yeah. requirements anyway. So, but I enjoy them That's so much. That's how I was. Yeah. Yeah. So, I um, in each of these classes, the like ethical theories, what is it called? Divine command theory and divine revelatory theory come up mm -hmm. briefly and they're like, yeah, but those are rejected. And it's like, right. isn't that assuming so many things? Like if, if there is a God and that God has claimed, you know, moral truths, then that would be the case. Like divine command or divine revelatory theory would be correct if there's a God and if that God has given us these moral laws. So like just to reject it because usually they say it's because there's so many religions. How do you know which one is the right one? So we can't make like objective claims, but you can also look at each religion and assess the evidence for each of them and figure out which one is more likely true. Yeah. And I mean, I would not subscribe to this, but a, a way you could argue with that would be to say, well, which religion leads to the greatest human flourishing? If that's your end goal, mm. shouldn't we all live by that religion anyway? Now, I don't yeah, think that's, that that's a good way to defend Christianity. I do think that Christianity leads to the greatest human flourishing. History shows us that. But it's a way to kind of push back and say, well, if this is your goal and you're saying that there's an objective moral truth, does this uh, book, if you're quoting the Bible, uh, lead to the greatest human flourishing? Which it would and does. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the argument from morality? No. I mean, again, I think that these two things, that the that the cosmological argument and the argument from morality, are both the same in that intuitively an honest person in a vacuum would say that they subscribe to them. But when you're put on the spot in something that is confrontational, like, well, is it this God that requires standards for you to live up to, then they will reject it. And I think that that has more to do with what they want to be true than what they actually believe is true. Um, I think that Frank Turek, who I really, really like a lot and respect, always says that he'll go and give these talks on college campuses. And, and he says, well, what, would you believe Christianity if you knew it was true? And people always say no. And it's because they don't want it to be true. And it's because God of the Bible is mean. Well, I'm sorry, the creator of the universe laid out an edict and you're a ball rolling uphill. So he will do with you what he wants. And if you have a problem with evil in this world and you're saying, well, why doesn't God stop all the evil? It's because you get mad at him when he does it, when he floods the earth, when he has Israel wipe out these other nations who are sacrificing children, you get upset with God and you say, well, that's wrong of him to commit genocide. Well, it's not genocide. First of all, it's his world and he does what he wants. But second of all, you can't have it both ways. You can't think God is mean and God doesn't exist. And if God exists, why doesn't he do something about all the evil of the world and then get upset with him when he does something about it? Yeah, and another thing that should be pointed out is uh, kind of like we've been making the case for this whole time, if you don't believe in a God, then how do you make the case for what is evil? How do you argue that something is evil if you have no like objective standard of good and evil? And the fact that we even have a word evil and we all kind of know what that means is points us to the moral argument, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said earlier, uh, the argument that, you know, there's so many different religions that how do we know which one is true, therefore divine revelatory theory or divine command theory is useless. I said we should assess the evidence and see which one has the best evidence. So how about we get into 
some historical arguments for Christianity. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, at, at its root, right, what is Christianity? It's the belief that Christ is the eternal son of God who came to earth, did an earthly ministry, died on a cross, was resurrected three days later. Um, and that's it, right? Like that's Christianity at its baseline. So if those things happen, then Christianity is true from my perspective. I don't, am I missing something there? Um, <laughs> is that broad strokes? Well, you didn't you mention would... the Catholic church, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm just um, kidding. <laughs> I am, uh, I could point out that I am an Orthodox Christian, lowercase O. I am a Catholic Christian, lowercase C. So <laughs> yeah, I'm totally but kidding. I'm a Calvinist with a capital C, so that's okay. uh yeah i mean okay yeah so he started the one holy apostolic church great yeah okay i'm in on that that's fine i don't know that it was roman (laughs) but that's fine yeah i'm absolutely joking that's a topic for another podcast um (laughs) so i mean so we have to if it if the idea is it's about christ's ministry on earth his resurrection from the dead and if those things are true christianity is true then we have to, that's what we need to examine about whether or not it's true. So you have a bunch of apostles, his actual people running around with him, right? And they uh, attest to the fact that he rose from the dead. They write about it in, in the, um, at least three of the, two of the gospels uh, are his actual apostles, right? Mark was probably, anyway, it, Regardless, they attest to it. There's lots of people in the first century there within Christ, within a hundred years of Christ's life, attesting to this thing that happened. And there's, and then dying for it. And to me, that is a very (laughs) uh, telling sort of um, occurrence because people, if Christ died on the cross, they went and stole the body and then made up this lie that they saw him. Right, which first of all wouldn't work because it was more than just them that saw him. We have many accounts of that, but why then they wouldn't? There's no, um, there's no reason for them to die for something that they think is a lie, right? If they were in on this conspiracy to steal the body and then make up this story, there's no glory in dying on a cross in Peter's case or Andrew's case. You know, you have all these horrible deaths um, that occurred to early Christians. And I just don't buy that these guys would be willing to die for something that they knew was not true. I think that if, if we died today, if we martyred ourselves for Christianity, that's a different case. That is, um, us dying for something we believe, not something that we know. Now I can say, I know in my heart, Christianity is true, but I didn't have an, I was not an eyewitness to the resurrection. People are will never ever die for something that they know is not true. Yeah, uh, I think like a good way to put it is, if I knew somebody today who died and rose from the dead, and I knew that by spreading that that truth that they actually did die and rise from the dead, I would be killed. Then that's a lot different from me saying today I believe somebody two thousand years ago died and rose from the dead. And I'm willing to say that even if it means I'll get killed. Those are two different things because one of them I witnessed firsthand and the other one I believe through um, examining evidence and things like that. But it's not something that I was there for. Now, on the other hand, if the person today who I hypothetically saw rise from the dead, uh, if I knew that was a lie, 
then, uh, and I knew that going out and preaching it to the whole world would get me killed, then I probably would uh, either just not preach about it in public, or if I was caught, I'd say, you know what, it was a lie, I'm sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> well, not like, only did you would you have had to know it was a lie in that circumstance, but you would have had to be in on it. You would have had to help your friend fake his death and resurrection or seal the body or whatever the thing was, whatever the conspiracy is, you would have had to have been in on it and then be willing to be called a heretic in a highly religious community where you know that it's going to lead to you dying. I mean, the only one of the 12 apostles besides Judas uh, who lived out all of his days was John. John is the only one who lived what we would consider a normal lifespan for the time. Right. Um, yeah, so we have these people that they claim that Jesus rose, and uh, like the analogy I was using, they didn't just stay at home and worship differently or something they went out and told everybody even though they knew they were in this kingdom that had just killed their leader and would likely do the same to them uh if if they were caught preaching about this yet they did it in public and uh, traveled all across the oceans to spread that word yeah and i think that that's something that maybe people miss a lot when we discuss christianity and why it's different from a lot of other religions is that it's all public. All of Christianity was done in public. Everything that happened was done in public. There were no secrets. There was no looking into a hat. There was no secret divine thing that happened. Christ's ministry was in public. His crucifixion was in public and his resurrection was to the public. Um, and so you have these guys running around and someone, the one that really gets me is Paul, right? So Paul in the book of Acts, he's there when the first martyrdom happens. Stephen gets martyred in Acts. And Paul's there, and it says Paul approved of it. Um, so he was this high-ranking Jewish official who had some power. He had everything to lose by converting to Christianity, but he did it anyway. So to me, that's—and then he was like, you know, one of the most prolific New Testament writers we have. Uh, so to me, it's like, why? What? what could possibly be the motivation for this guy to go out on a limb like that and to give up everything that he has? Because he didn't see faint, like we think of him now, oh, St. Paul. But back then, there was no glory in it. Um, there was just death. Right. Yeah, he didn't, you wouldn't even die like uh, what you would think of as like a heroic martyr's death. People widely did not like Christians back then. And anyone who was around preaching this message, they, you know, Though the church was growing, they they were still thought of as like this fringe group that nobody liked. And it wasn't until, uh, what is it, like 300 years later that Christianity became actually yeah. in, uh, had tolerated. some kind of clout. Yeah, yeah. It was tolerated at best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at like, I think Matthew was boiled in oil, I think. That's oh, right. geez. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at all these guys who died and it's all in terrible ways, getting speared, getting beheaded, getting... Um, crucified in horrible ways. Um, and it's just like, why would anyone put themselves through that for something that they knew wasn't true? Yeah. And I think people, maybe a large part of the confusion comes from these, uh, I don't know if you remember, but like a while back, there was all these documentaries coming out on Netflix about these cult leaders who, you know, yeah. claim to have this divine wisdom that, you know, whatever. And then it turns out they're sexually harassing all of their followers and there was rapes and terrible things uh so they think of maybe maybe they think of these like early christians apostles as people that were like just trying to get some fame and some power 
Um, but the thing is, like in our culture today, if somebody like one of these uh, cult leaders that in these Netflix documentaries, if somebody comes out and claims to have some divine wisdom and gets some sort of a following, then that's, you know, they'll largely get a lot of praise for that. And if they say some things that are nice, then the people who agree with them will, you know, cheer them, people who disagree will, whatever. But back then, the culture was such that if you came out and claimed something like this, nobody in the culture was going to like you. It was not a popular message. Like it was anathema to everything that existed back then. So it was not like uh, these people were trying to get power and uh, yeah, social mean, clout. We don't burn heretics at the stake anymore is basically yeah. you know, what it comes down to because that's what they did then. We don't do that now. And the, it's interesting you bring that up because I was um, I watched the show Waco uh, maybe oh, six yeah. months ago. It's a good and one. And I, you know, you get to think about that. Like this guy had all these people who believed him and everything. Um, and then, and I think about like Jonestown where they all drank the Kool Aid and died. Right. These mm -hmm. situations are situations where these cult followers are all together at the ends of their lives. They all commit suicide together. First of all, the the apostles did not commit suicide, other than you know, other than Judas. Um, right. They didn't kill themselves. They knew that what they were doing could lead to them being killed, but they did not kill themselves. But even so, they were all of their lives ended with them by themselves being martyred. They were not together in this group. You know, you can get in a herd mentality where it's we're all together and we all believe this thing, and if we're going to go out, we're all going to go out together. But that's not what happened. They all went to different places, preached the gospel, and got killed for it. And that's not something that people who don't believe in something do. And people who believe in something that they've witnessed are a lot more reliable than people who get a feeling. That's a good point. That's definitely a good thing to explain. Um, yeah, so we have... Uh, I mean, maybe I should have mentioned earlier, but we know that the vast majority of historians agree that Jesus existed. Yes. And that he died under crucifixion, under Pontius Pilate. Uh, it should be noted also, um, I, I'd have to find the link and put it in the description or something, but uh, it was largely thought that Pontius Pilate didn't exist and that the Bible just like made up this guy because there was no archaeological evidence of it. Well, they later found archaeological evidence. So we have it's it's kind of nice to have something in, that the Bible confirmed before it was found by us. But you that's know? everything. The Bible confirms everything. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible knew the universe exactly. better winning too, and before science told us that. Definitely, yeah. So then historians agree on that, uh, and then still a majority of historians, uh, maybe not a vast majority, but a, a majority nonetheless, agree that um, Jesus was buried in that in a tomb that the tomb was empty three days later and that people claimed to have um, experienced the risen Jesus and they claimed so fervently that they were willing to go to their death for it like we just uh, laid out. Um, so that's like the overall case for the historicity of the resurrection. Yeah, and, and I mean, and this is on a whole different subject, but I think that as far as historicity of the resurrection goes, the idea that the Bible is an accurate, is a generally accurate document points to that it might be a specifically accurate document. Um, and so it's, it's, I don't think we should do this, but if you take all the supernatural stuff out of it, right, mm -hmm. it's fairly reliable. It's, I mean, it is reliable still. 
Um, I don't think we should. There's a movement to take all the supernatural stuff out of Christianity. And I think that's a mistake because that's part of who God is. He is outside of nature. He is supernatural. But the point being that if it's generally, generally reliable, then it is probably, it is most likely specifically reliable. Right. And it, and it does get rid of any, um, potential accusations that oh well somebody later wrote this and made all these claims because we have things that are very time specific um i know that the geography of israel at the time under rome was changing uh between generations and and you know the the geographical description of it in the bible fits the time that it was uh, supposed to have been written in Mm -hmm. so we have all of these things that uh, you know, you can't just say somebody wrote it 500 years later and right. um, the church made all this stuff up or something. Yeah, I mean, because you have documentation outside of the Bible. You know, Joseph, Josephus wrote his stuff. Um, Clement of Rome wrote wrote uh, in 55, 95, um, 95. And so it's like these guys, and not only that, but going back to the martyrdom issue is that within, the, so you have that first generation of people who actually saw the resurrected Christ. The next generation of people There were early Christians in that next generation who recanted their faith under persecution by governing bodies. But what happened is whenever that would happen, the people doing the persecution and getting them to convert back to whatever God they wanted them to worship would write because they'd brag about it. And they'd say, we got these guys to to take back their statements. So to me, the fact that we don't have a lot of documentation, any documentation as far as I'm aware of people saying, hey, look, it, we got these people who once claimed to view the resurrected Christ within that first generation, and now they're not Christians anymore. Wouldn't you write about that if you were one of those guys who was taking pride in the fact that you were able to get people to recant? Yeah, of course. And anybody who didn't recant, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to give them the satisfaction of putting them in history, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you you have to be careful with, you know, evidence by omission, but it is suspicious to me, and I think it really just bolsters the case. It doesn't prove the case, but it bolsters it and gives some support that uh, this is missing, and you'd think that if uh, there was this insurgent movement within the Roman Empire to do this thing and that peop- and that the government didn't want it and the Jews didn't want it, that someone would have written about some sort of, at the time— someone would have written to try and discredit the account of the risen Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me that the Bible itself only mentions the martyrdom of two, of two um, Christians that there are no, I mean, John the Baptist kind of, but I would not call that necessarily a martyrdom. Um, But it only, it's only Stephen and James or John, James, the brother of John. Uh, is the only other one mentioned in Acts. So that's, you know, anytime that we, when we talk about the historical accuracy of martyrs specifically, we're, we can't appeal to the Bible because the Bible doesn't mention them. Right. Yeah, that's true. Acts ends in a weird place with Paul. Uh, what is he doing? He's on house arrest <laughs> yeah. at, the end, at the end of Acts. So it's like, you know, you'd think they would have mentioned that if it had happened, which also points to the fact that they were written within uh, a close proximity to the life of Christ. Right, right. <laughs> That's it. 
atheism is defeated. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of some like objections that I can, you know, muster up, but um, I don't know. I this is stuff that when I was an atheist, I never knew that there was even an attempt at a reasoned argument for Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so when I, I did come a, when I did come across these arguments, I was like, wait, you guys wait, there's like documentation? Wait, like what? <laughs> and I think so that's it why was a slap in the apologetics face. are important because I think that there's a real tendency, and we all do this to a certain extent. We criticize what we don't know instead of trying to find out the intellectual reasons why people might believe something. But especially mm. towards Christianity, people are hostile towards it. And they say, well, have you ever thought of that there is bad stuff in the world? And it's like, yeah. And in fact, <laughs> we've been thinking about that since the beginning. And the fact that you think that there is quote unquote bad stuff in the world points to the fact that you are already buying into our worldview to a certain extent because right. you have no concept of bad without good. Yeah. And I, I should also say that, I, like I was saying, I was really ignorant of, of a lot of well-reasoned arguments for Christianity when I was an atheist. And it's not like I was a passive atheist. I was one of those really annoying internet troll atheists, like <laughs> always involved in internet arguments about Christianity and atheism. And I followed every atheist I could find. I listened to every atheist podcast I could find. I was a religious atheist, basically. I took it very seriously. And um, so the fact that I was that involved in it and that uninformed about Christian arguments, uh, like really gets to the heart of how atheism is not really representing Christian arguments at all. They're just, you know, everything I watched was like a straw man of what Christianity yeah. was. And um, yeah, so. But to be fair to atheists, uh, which don't, who don't even know what fair is without God, but regardless, um, <laughs> to be fair to atheists, it's Christians don't know this stuff either. <laughs> and that's I think that that's true. That's a huge problem. And so for me, one of my, you know, formative experiences that I look back on, and it took me like 10 years to deal with this, was I was out with some friends and I had a friend who like, we went to church together and everything was cool. Uh, and then like, he's just kind of rejected God. Um, and I, you know, you know, you kind of just well talk about other stuff. And then one night having a talk and him being like, you know, if God allows all this evil stuff to happen in the world, then I don't want any part of God. And that messed with me and that I was like, huh, I don't have anything to say to that. I have nothing for that. Um, and like I said, it took like 10 years for me to get to a place where it's like, okay, I feel like I could answer that question now. But at the time, it's like, we are not equipping young Christians to be able to defend their faith in any sort of way. And I don't necessarily think that the defense of the faith is something that that is for the two people in the conversation. I think it's for the people around the conversation. You don't win a debate in the moment of the debate. You win the debate at midnight the next night when the guy's still thinking about what you said while he's lying in bed. That's a very good way to put that. Um, yeah, definitely. Like uh, the accusation that Christians just believe in Christianity because of their parents or something it's like true. that. It's it's probably very <laughs> largely true. Yeah. Uh, but then... I mean, we can easily rebut that, you know, it's the genetic fallacy that just because you believe yeah. something for no good reason doesn't mean there is no good reason to believe that thing. But uh, it is a problem. Like, I I mean, I grew up Christian and I went to Sunday school 
and all of that stuff pretty much my whole life. And then at the age of about 15 or 16, I realized I don't have, I don't know why I believe this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just thought everybody believed this. And then I realized not everybody believes this. So then I was like, oh, what, what am I doing? And then that led me to think there's no good reason to believe this. And that led me out of Christianity briefly for a brief uh, eight years or whatever it was. So um, yeah, it's definitely important to get some at least very basic foundational stuff uh, into people's heads about, you know, this is, these are the reasons that what we believe is true. Yeah. And when we don't do that, we do a disservice. And so you have to have good reasons to believe what you believe. And again, going back, I mean, this is beating a dead horse at this point, which isn't wrong by an atheist uh, perspective. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, but it's like you live in a way, like even when you were an atheist, you probably basically knew right and wrong. And that is a point towards general revelation about morality. Um, again, that only gets us so far, but yeah. It, so people need to be able to defend their faith. Um, otherwise, like I said, there's no reason to do it. And uh, not to quote Frank Turek all day, but he did say, you know, people leave Christianity. Uh, they don't get talked out of it, but they leave because they were never talked into it um, right. or something like that. And not that you can, I, I firmly believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings people to Christ. But um, who's to say God can't use us um, using apologetics in order to to at least either give us a more firm foundation or to, uh, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, be convincing. Um, but, you know, it's a biblical command. Always be ready. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, I mean, I think right now we're like off of the, the main conversation that we meant to have, but this <laughs> is a good, still a good trail to go down, I think. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that, what you just said about the Holy Spirit guiding us to um, believing in Jesus. Uh, I, I had a hard time with that because I, I always thought I was intellectually, I, I felt like I came into Christianity because I looked up the arguments and I found them to be true. Uh, but the reality is before that, I saw no reason to look into Christian arguments because I was like, that's dumb. Why would I look into that? Like, it's obviously wrong. And it didn't happen until I realized um, uh, somewhat along the lines of the morality argument, but more with like the purpose of life. I was thinking like, if there is no God, then there is no objective purpose to life. And if there is no objective purpose to life, then why am I doing anything? Like, why am I working? Why am I trying to get a college degree? Why do I want a family? Like, what is the point of all this stuff? Am I just going to like enjoy myself and then die? And then nothing I've ever done (laughs) has had any real meaning in it. Like, that's terrible. Maybe you're contributing to human flourishing, but... I sure hope so. (laughs) Yeah. No. And I think that, I think, I think you're right. Um, So that could, um, no, sorry. My, my, I just, my point in saying all that was just to say like, that could be uh, interpreted as like a Holy Spirit moment where you're realizing, oh, I do need God, or I at least do need to take this claim very seriously, uh, or I need to accept the repercussions of it being false uh, and face it head on. Yeah, I mean, my God is not so small that he can't use a logical argument to bring someone to him. You know what I mean? Right. 
And it's like he creates us as individuals. He doesn't create us as groups. He knows you and he knows what will speak to you. Um, and he uses that as his um, as his point of access, for lack of a better way to put it. So there you have it. There is the episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know the audio was a little bit weird. You may have noticed that his audio sounded much better than my audio, and that's because, uh, like I said, Adam Bishop is a musician, professional Christian musician, and uh, because of that, he has very good quality microphones and all that stuff. Normally, I record this podcast on my iPhone, um, and this episode with him, the interview I recorded with a gaming headset that I had laying around. So, you know, hopefully along the way I'll be able to get better audio equipment, but for now we got to make do with what we got. And, um, yeah, uh, also the audio may have been a little bit lower than this audio is. So sorry about that. I'm not too sure why that happened, but, um, next time I will make sure that is not the case. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it was still listenable. You know, <laughs> I don't think the audio was that bad. If if it wasn't listenable, I wouldn't have uploaded it that way. But yeah, anyways, with all that out of the way, I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. I hope you found this constructive, beneficial, Hopefully you got something of value out of it. If you are somebody who disagrees with some of these arguments, then please, please, please email me. We would love to have you on for a debate. You would be just talking with Adam about these things, and I'm going to largely stay out of it and mainly just mediate the conversation between you two. It's not going to be like a, we're not going to gang up on you or anything like that. (laughs) It'll just be a casual conversation, you two talking, and I will just... Uh, the only time I would intervene is to make sure we're not staying on something for longer than than we need to, or if I realize that we're not going to come to any progress towards agreement on any specific issue, then I might just ask us to move it along. But um, other than that, it would be a free-flowing conversation, and I think it'd be a lot of fun. You don't need to have any expertise. We're not going to make fun of you for not knowing some certain terms. This is just a conversation between two people, very casual, very normal, just like you would anybody else. Um that you knew. So, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out about that. Uh, don't forget to check out Adam's work. Links are in the description for his music and his blog. And, uh, uh, you know, I think you'll find a lot of value there. Um, so I've got nothing else to say. My email is lossincast at gmail.com. If you want to contact me to be on the show with Adam or with me or whatever you want to do. And, um, that is where I'm going to end it off. Thank you guys for your time. Appreciate you sitting through this episode and, uh, and for, you know, continuing to listen week after week. I really appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully you get a lot of value out of this podcast. All right. All right. I'll cut it there. (laughs) God bless you guys. Have a good one.